All right, Sean Sewell with the Gimit.com podcast. Really excited to have back on my friends Pat Flynn and Alex DeHebrahammer Sulkin for the Big Boys episode number three. Trace. Big boys are back in town. Big boys. Big boys. Ridden back on horseback or however you would ride into town. Yeah, into Nebraska on a horseback. So, uh, yeah, I'll, we have so many fun things to cover. One is the Halloween special. It wasn't intentional. We were going to do a happy hour last night, but uh, I'm not going to drink at breakfast with you, Alex. I'm sorry. I will have a sparkling water. I can't drink alone. I mean, I can. Um, but I, I just, because I have to drive shortly. I figure right. I'm driving. Well, I think that was important. There's, there's a funny, it brings up, there's a funny essay by one of my favorite writers, H.L. Mencken. It's called How to Drink Like a Gentleman. So I'd recommend everyone brings that up. And I forget all of his rules. It's, it's satirical, but, but the rules are kind there is they're tongue in cheek, but they're also like actual good advice. So he's at least two of his rules were uh, never drink alone. Right. So that's, that's, that's one of the rules. The second rule was never drink when you still have work to do. Uh, yeah, those, those those were and he's got a bunch of these other but those were two of them never drink alone and never drink when you still have work to do mm-hmm. that's good i like it but you know i'm gonna add to it i have done quite a bit of good work drunk i am impressed <laughs> yeah so it's funny because he's a writer and oftentimes when you when you read a lot of other writers like hemingway you know they have these little quips of write drunk edit sober exactly. uh, stuff like that so you know he'll probably get he'll probably get pushed back on that yeah. piece of advice, but we saw how Hemingway turned out. So, yeah, good point. Good point. And I, I can back to the number two. I think it's great. I, I have a, a strong work ethic. I love to work. When I'm done with work, then I can go and relax and do my things. But I'm also a polyphasic sleeper sometimes. So I'll wake up at like one or two, and I'm up for an hour, hour and a half, and then I make a pitch to Patagonia or Molecule or whomever, and it's surprisingly good work for being middle of the night. The other funny thing about about drinking, and I should I should t- I should walk back the thing about Hemingway because he he is of course revered as one of the greatest writers of all time, despite his tragic end. Um, the there's a book out fairly recent called Why We Sleep, and that gives almost the complete opposite advice because this 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 guy who's one of the foremost ex- experts in sleep says, if you're going to drink, understand that it's always going to mess up your sleep. So. If so, his his advice is actually pretty hard line. He says just just don't drink at all if you expect to have a good night's sleep. It's just not going to happen. Or if you are going to drink, then he says uh, he'll give the politically incorrect advice of saying to have a beer at like 10 a.m. or something like that. Yes. What time should it be in Nebraska mm-hmm. time? 10 a.m. Baby. <laughs> right now, I guess. Let's go ahead. Prowler yeah. um, in the fridge. Nice. Well, you know what, Pat? I can second that. I listened to, I think, that same um, uh, author on a podcast. I think it's Tim Ferriss or Jay Shetty talking about the disruptiveness of it, heart rate variability, um, and just don't indulge, um, if, you know, for best practice, but easier said than done. Yeah, yeah. So he's, 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 I mean, he's obviously right. Like the science on it is, is, is pretty obvious. Um, and the idea is if you have a beer at like in the morning, then hopefully it's, enough out of your system so to speak that it isn't going to impair your sleep as much but you know um you go out on a date you go to a wedding just you know just you're an adult you accept that okay i'm just not going to have the best night's sleep tonight end of story move on so i think the better advice and i'm not sure he would disagree with this is just don't make a habit of it right yeah yeah that's a good point Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of date nights, um, last night was pretty pretty pleasant. We haven't listened to like live music in like seven or eight months, it seems like, right? And so we, we get takeout food sometimes, usually on a Friday night to celebrate. And we went and picked it up, and we heard this great musician covering Radiohead into Bob Marley, into Depeche Mode, all acoustic. It was awesome. We're like, <laughs> I sat down and shared a drink, and it was, it was really amazing. Uh, the little things, you know, little things like that. Absolutely. Oh, Most of us for, for, have forgotten just how much we liked those little things until yeah. they were all rended asunder by this <laughs> lockdown BS that's just swept the nation like an annoying craze that would otherwise go away, but this one doesn't seem to. Yeah, now, I know Alex is especially triggered about this because he just got kicked out of the state of Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> I literally got kicked out of Hawaii. <laughs> all right, where's a, there's a story here. So yeah, you, we can't. Yeah, we can't open that up without hearing the full account. Correct. So, uh, a friend and colleague of mine, uh, he was having his fiftieth birthday party, and this is a man who's, you know, he he's pretty well off monetarily, 
And so he decided he wanted to have a big birthday bash. And if something's worth doing, you got to do it yourself. So he decided to set this up in Hawaii and he, he flew his friends to Hawaii. I mean, he paid for their tickets, you know, hotel rooms and everything like that. And again, you know, he wasn't like breaking the bank by doing this. He was within his budget, but he has a, a decent budget. So he asked if I wanted to go and I was like, yeah, I mean, why not? That sounds like fun. And um, so everything was set up. And uh, for the first time, I, there's, a, there's a very important lesson in here, which is don't break your routine. I mean, people talk trash about like, if you were to look at my desk right now, you'd be like, oh, it looks pretty messy, but I know where everything is. I know how to find everything, right? And it's like, once you put things away, you're like, where did I put X, Y, and Z, right? Well, it was the same thing for this, because one of the things you had to do in order to get into the state of Hawaii is you had to take a COVID test. And uh, so the rules, I think I misread them, um, or I read what somebody else put rather than reading it directly from the website. And so it was like a game of telephone, and it ended up being, um, it ended up being the wrong thing. I don't know if you've ever played telephone as a kid, where, you know, you like whisper something into a kid's, right. And then by the time it gets to the end of the line, it's like completely different. So what happened was uh, I was under the impression that you had to have you, uh, your COVID test results in the Hawaii's database three to five days before you arrive. So on, it would have been Friday, not of last week, but the week before. So two weeks ago, uh, I went to Walgreens, did a drive up thing, jammed something up my nose, gave it back to him and uh, COVID test came back and it was negative. And I was like, all right, I knew that I was too strong to get this COVID test. This is just confirmation I was looking for. And um, so I, I got the results, but the results came two days later. So it came on a Sunday. My flight left Wednesday. So that means that my test was done five days in advance and the information was uploaded like, you know, three days in advance of the flight. And uh, so when I arrived there, you know, I had the first flight to Denver. So for a brief shining moment, you and I were in the same state and in the same vicinity, believe it or not. <laughs> Ever. I know, yeah. Um, then, uh, after that flew to Hawaii. So I got to Hawaii and they're like, Hey, make sure you've got this ready. Make sure you get that ready. Have your QR code, whatever. And so I rocked up and the lady behind this desk looking at people's COVID test thing. She I was showing her the test. She was like, um, okay, when, when was this done? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think it should be on there. And, uh, so then she had like the health supervisor come over and take a look and, um, he goes, uh, yeah, we can't accept this. This is, uh, this was done too long ago. I'm like, what are you talking about? Back on the plane, sir. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was three to five days that had to be, he's like, no, it has to be 72 hours or less. I'm like, you're gonna be kidding me. Now this is where the whole routine thing comes into place because usually I'm like Mr. Last minute. Like I do great work at the last minute mm -hmm. and I do a lot of it at the last minute. But this time, because this was a gift to me for somebody else's birthday, I didn't want to be like, wait until the last minute and then possibly like, oh yeah, it's not in in enough time. And, uh, you know, and then I ruined it. So I, I, I went the opposite of what my instincts so, were. So yeah, you, you betrayed your procrastinator instincts and, and, and congratulations, you played yourself. Yes, I totally played myself. <laughs> uh, so I was like, okay, well, I mean, like, can I get a, can I just get a COVID test here? They're like, no, there are no post-arrival COVID tests. I'm like, what sense does that make? He even told me that like 50% of the people who show up there have done it wrong. So they have to be sent back or quarantined for 14 days in their hotel room or house or wherever else they're staying. Wow. Meaning, meaning you, cannot, you literally cannot not leave the premises. If it's your house, you can't leave the premises. If it's a hotel room, you can't even go into the hallway. You have to stay in the room. And so I was like, what, am I going to spend $100 a day on Uber Eats? Because, you know, I got a big appetite. <laughs> and I was like, mm -hmm. I was like, uh, so, the, so I can't get a, a post-arrival COVID test. He's like, no. And, uh, and he's like, look, I, I think it's stupid too, because a lot of people come here and, you know, their COVID test, uh, they either didn't do it right or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, we just, we have to give them those options. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to stay 14 days in some hotel room. I was like, I'm going to get the next flight back to Omaha. So uh, I did stay one day in, uh, in a hotel room. And actually, 
the it got even worse because the hotel there did not have Wi-Fi. I mean, they did have Wi-Fi, but it didn't work. So it didn't really matter. And uh, so meaning I couldn't get work done and I had a promotion coming up and I could not, I tried to do a, a mobile hotspot on my phone so that I could use some internet. That didn't work either for some reason. It just would not connect with my computer. And uh, which is odd because it's done that in the past. I remember Pat and I would, uh, would work together at, uh, at a coffee shop in a small town in Pennsylvania. And when their Wi-Fi was down, I would just use a hotspot and it worked fine. So I do not know why the entire state of Hawaii was, uh, was conspiring against me. Um, so I, uh, so yeah, I stayed, I stayed one night in a hotel room. I ate, uh, just garbage food, you know, and, uh, because that was all that was available. I couldn't like go to the corner store and buy something, you know, healthy or whatever. Right, right. I, I did get some good videos filmed. In fact, I filmed, um, some videos for something I'm going to post on, on YouTube. It's an all body weight, uh, workout called hell in a hotel. And <laughs> can you tell that you're raging? You just oh. tell <laughs> yeah. I was just like, as I, like every, every move, I was like, just gritting my teeth, just so angry. Um, but, uh, and then I did a couple of other videos that I'm going to use as bonuses later on for, uh, for a future, uh, promotion to my list. Uh, so it wasn't a total loss, but it was pretty good, close. man. I'm glad you had a nice vacation. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I, it was uh, look from the from the window. They have very weird rules, by the way, because when you can stay fourteen days in quarantine and then leave, or you can leave sooner. But when you leave now, again, keep in mind my COVID test was negative. So, mm -hmm. by the way, the 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 uh, consequences of me leaving my hotel room, despite having a negative COVID test, would have been either a $5,000 fine or up to one year in jail. Wow. Now, I don't know what the one year in jail thing, what sense that makes, because if they want you to like quarantine and like socially distance, all they're doing is packing you in with like a bunch of hardened criminals who are probably not that concerned with their health. So at any rate, I was like, well, neither of these seem like very good, good options. Um, so yeah, I really had no choice. But when you, when you leave, I had to call the front desk because I was like, I don't want to get in trouble. I was like, what's the protocol? Like, uh, if, you know, I'm, I've been order an Uber uh, and just go to the airport. But they're like, yeah, you can just leave in an Uber. I'm like, well, then how am I, how is that like quarantining? Like by no definition of anything is that quarantining. Just, it, it's just so haphazard and so moronic. Um, so <laughs> yes, uh, it is. Yeah, so I got, I got kicked out of the once great state of Hawaii. And, uh, and they're, they're insane rules. Again, like no post flight. Here's the thing, like all these tourists who are coming there and have to turn around, they would spend a lot of money in Hawaii. So if you just said, hey, look, you know, uh, you didn't do the COVID test right, you're gonna have to quarantine until you get your test back. But you can do one here in the airport, you either have it be a rapid COVID test if they have those, or you, know, you can quarantine in your hotel room for two, three days. And then after that, you're good to go. And it's gonna be like a hundred bucks, you know, or something like that. Uh, instead, they're like, no, you either stay here or you leave. So, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that this is going to be very good, good publicity for their state, no, particularly given no. that you have the number one podcast in Estonia, Sean, uh, for fitness. People in Estonia are going to be like, well, you know, look what they did to this Jewish guy uh, purely on account of him being Jewish. That's going to be the, the story I run with right now because that's <laughs> I'm canceling my honeymoon right now. Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, it was just a, it was a total absurdity. Again, I, I understand if they want to be a little bit um, overly cautious because I do think that's caution to the point of ridiculousness, but I don't understand why you would not have post-arrival COVID tests. It, it just makes right. zero sense. So uh, yeah, I very happily got kicked out of the state of Hawaii, but I got to watch some good movies on the plane that I had not seen. That would be a, that would be a cool thing just to kind of like put in your bio just as like, I, exactly. Out of state of that, that you were kicked out of the state of Hawaii. Yeah. Make like no, you know, Alex is an SFG one, SFG two. He's been formally kicked out of the state of Hawaii. Yeah. He has his bachelor's degree and et cetera. Yeah. Right. Like whoa, 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 back up a little bit. Back up. You got kicked out of Hawaii, and I'm like, right. Right. I'll have to tell you the story sometime. You know, right. Was threatened with a, was threatened with a prison sentence. Just it just okay. adds to the appeal, right? Yeah, uh, like fled from Hawaii to a <laughs> to avoid a prison sentence. That's even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a lot better. There well, you go. So there's some, and there's women some potential love bad upsides. boys. Women love bad right. boys. So, you know, that would be, uh, I would just have them flocking to me at that point. 
The wow. big boy, bad boy. The big bad boy. That's a hell of a story, man. Yeah. Crazy. I thought I just like, you know, got stomach bug or something. No. <laughs> nope. It was even dumber. I didn't have COVID and they kicked me out uh, on account of COVID. Let's, let's drill down this COVID. Seriously, like, it's, I'm irritated to the point of craziness. I, I know all of you are as well. Um, as fitness professionals, I operate in person. I closed down gyms in one day back in March. And we're potentially, knock on wood, hopefully not going to another lockdown here later this week. So um, it's very frustrating to me because a lot of reasons. But I think the bigger impact besides the COVID, I think it's like the impact of all these rules in place like you experienced and all this in like unmeasurable consequences, if you want to say that, of what's going on economically, emotionally, physically, uh, connection-wise, spiritually, all these things that are impacting on a magnitude that is unfathomable more than just test results. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that's, that is the core lesson of Henry Hazlitt's famous book, Economics of One Lesson, and it is the danger of being myopic in public policy, of just focusing on one particular area of a policy without trying to understand the broader implications. And that's exactly what we're seeing going on right now. And, and it's not like we aren't completely unaware of the broader implications. We have projections of mass consequences in terms of starvation and famine, like serious death toll consequences yeah. um, from these lockdown policies. In fact, I just did, uh, for people who really wanna dive into this, I just did a, an episode with Dr. Jay Richards who co-authored a book with two other scientists called The Price of Panic, How a Tyranny of Experts Turned a Pandemic into a Catastrophe. And what they show is that the initial lockdown um, measures were based off of extremely dubious science, to say the least, uh, and, and a flip-flop position, whereas before um, certain scientific bodies uh, said, we don't have any reason to think that lockdowns would be effective, uh, specifically like large-scale lockdowns, that changes. And now we have all this data uh, where we can, where, especially in the United States, where we can compare different states of states that didn't lock down, that had mixed lockdowns, that had strict lockdowns, and we see that it really makes no difference. At the end of, like, if you just put up a bunch of graphs, this is a, kind of one of the fun thought experiments uh, for people, uh, and, you know, of COVID cases or whatnot, and you ask them, okay, which one of these graphs had lockdowns or mass, or you could even do mass mandates too, and you ask them, okay, show me on the graph where, which ones had lockdowns and where they went in. And nobody, nobody will be able to do it, right? Nobody will be able to get it right, which just shows like if the hypothesis is that these things are, and it's important to have kind of the, some conceptual clarity here of when it comes to something like lockdowns, uh, we have to understand, and this is so true in the fitness industry, that we're talking about suppressing some very fundamental rights of people, the right to work, the right to social gathering, the right to provide for oneself, one family. I know there's certain states where people still haven't been able to open their own gym at all, right? Have not been able to run their own business. So when it comes to imposing burdens that are that significant on people, right? When it comes to suppressing really fundamental rights that could have enormous consequences, the burden of proof is on the people who impose burdens, right? And not only has that burden of proof not been met, meaning we would, want, we would need to see and have good reason to think that these lockdowns are not only highly effective, which they're not, but that, that there's really no alternative that we couldn't do without them. And that burden of proof is far, 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 far from being met, right? And that doesn't mean that we don't want to have policies for people to quarantine if they're sick or, or social distancing or even, even the masks, right? The mask is not, I think, a hill that certainly I'm not willing to die on, even if I think that it's, it's – it's still a bit dubious, but it's very clear to me uh, and this conversation I just had with Dr. Richards that the lockdowns are, are not only unjustified going forward at this point, uh, but seriously immoral and are, are contributing to catastrophic, catastrophic effects that far outweigh both in terms of, of not just economic costs, but literal human death mm -hmm. than, than COVID itself. And that is, for, for whatever reason, just not being acknowledged or talked about. And it goes against many other expert recommendations like the great barrington declaration that i shared of you have three top scientists in the world infectious disease scientists right who are the most qualified so if we're going to talk about expert follow the experts these people are from stanford and oxford and they're they're actual infectious disease experts not just immunologists like fauci but like best in the world 
And they're saying, uh, don't do lockdowns, right? They're saying we need focus protection, uh, but everybody else should just go back to life as normal, right? So it's, it's you know, that, that also, it also boggles the mind. Um, so yeah, there's, I just threw a lot out there, but that's, that's where I'm at on all this stuff. No, I, I think you're right. And, and I, you know, I don't mean to interrupt, Sean, but I was going to say one thing that I, I would add to that is that um, the reaction from many people in the public has been sort of a blind acceptance. And I think that this is one of the things that is kind of fueling it. Like there are now people are getting restless, people are getting tired of all this stuff, but there, uh, there's a strong enough contingent of people who are, you know, a part of the, the citizenry who are like, oh no, you know, we gotta, we gotta keep the lockdowns, keep up the, you know, the masks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, when it comes to like what Pat said with the masks and, um, and, uh, and that sort of a thing, you know, if everybody has to wear masks, but we're still allowed to go about our lives, our day-to-day -day lives, I, I don't think that's anywhere nearly as bad as shutting down the economy. And the people who are saying we have to listen to the experts, it's like, well, experts don't always agree. They rarely agree with each other. Like, Which experts, right? Because exactly. I just named not, not the experts who just started that, but that's that, the last I checked, that declaration was signed by some like 10,000 medical professionals, Absolutely. right? So. So what, it's, such a, it's such a meaningless platitude. Trust the experts, right? Exactly. Tell me which experts and then give me their arguments. That's what I want to hear, right? And this is exactly it because ultimately what it does is to me, it sounds like it just comes down to a, uh, an appeal to authority. Like, well, we just have to listen to the experts. It's like, okay, but there are, which experts are you talking about? Just like what Pat said. You know, there are experts who disagree. Now, are you talking about the experts that you see on TV all the time who, who are pushing for this stuff? Or are you talking about the experts who are saying, look, there's a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, so the people who are saying that and, and the people who are saying believe the science as though science is, you know, like a belief system uh, are the last people you should be believing. And, and the unwillingness on uh, people's part to ask questions and, right. and really say, like, is this the best way to do things? And, and is there a potentially a third way path, you know, that's not close everything down or open everything up, but maybe something a little bit more nuanced, like certain things right. may need to be closed, certain things may need to be open and so on and so forth. And, and it's, and this is what it seems like at least the people who are on, on board with the Barrington declaration are talking about is it's very important when you say trust the experts that we, we have an understanding of relevant expertise, right? Uh, experts are often highly specialized. And even though let's back up when it comes to appealing to authority, it's not, People sometimes get this fallacy wrong. It's not always fallacious to make an appeal to authority. It's generally a weaker argument. Um, but when it becomes fallacious is if there is already disagreement, right? And you're just appealing to authority without providing independent argument or evidence. Or if we think that there's some reason why the experts might be biased, for example. And we know that unfortunately this whole COVID situation has become so political and there's so many social pressures that there is reason to think there, there might be bias at play so that's why you know it as you said alex appeals to authority aren't enough furthermore is somebody can be a relevant expert and might be right on one area but why should we think that just because they're right on one area that they're going to be able to tell us what the best public policy is overall right so yes like within the, the you know the committee of people that we want to uh advise and have the expert opinion of when it comes to public policy we should include them but there's no reason that we should have an immunologist set the public policy in general, right? Because there's other things and other areas that need to be considered that an immunologist may not have any idea about or any idea how to calculate. This is the idea of not being myopic in public policy, right? We want to talk to other economists. We want to talk to psychologists. We want to talk to uh you know, international trade experts, for example. So we can try and get a broader picture of okay, if we follow the the policy measures of this expert what are some other consequences that might come that this expert might be able to help us predict or so that's that's the other thing it's this myopic single-sided um sh really short-sighted perspective people are taking on this and then the worst part is this the worst part is this is if 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 it is the case that lockdowns have had little to no effect meaning that um putting lockdowns in really wouldn't have done much of anything in terms of the overall overall deaths, which uh, we're seeming to, which the data is seeming to point on, then it really just means that all the other deaths we're causing about from from the lockdown policies are 
are completely our fault, right? And that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing. Because it's not like we might have saved 500,000 deaths, but then we killed another 500,000 people with these policies, so it about evened out. It's no, we would have lost all these people even without the lockdowns, and we just racked up another 300,000, 500,000 million people on top of that. And if that's the case, then we're doing something seriously terrible. And that does seem to be where um, – where the where it is tending with this lockdowns that they just ha not only have they not been anywhere near as effective as we as we were sold on initially but they've done little to nothing in terms of actual um uh save quote unquote saving lives yeah you know and if i could add something to that i um i was i had an interaction with uh we'll say a relative of mine um on this topic a few months ago because I pointed out that there were a lot of people in uh, Africa and in other parts of the world who have very weak economies, but they rely on, you know, some international trade uh, to some degree in order to, to, you know, spur their own livelihoods. And tens of thousands of people were dying as a direct result of the lockdowns and the, the economic ramifications that came as a result. And so, for example, some of them, it was like, you know, childhood uh, diseases, like their kids um, might get some sort of a disease and they don't have a ton of hospitals in the area. So they have to pay for some sort of transportation to get their kid to a hospital. I think this was a case in like Afghanistan, for example, and it might be 26 miles to the nearest uh, hospital. But if you don't have any money to even get your kid there and, and it's directly as a result of you not being able to, you know, to uh, sell your wares and that sort of a thing as a result of these lockdowns. So, you know, what we end up seeing is that it's not just the people in the countries that are, uh, that we're mostly focusing on, which are, which are Western countries. That's typically what people are looking at. Uh, but it's all the, the developing countries that are, are suffering horribly as a result. And so, like Pat said, if the lockdowns were ineffective, we are responsible not just for the economic destruction in the Western countries, but also the economic destruction in these developing countries that rely on trade in whatever measure with Western countries. Um, and the people who died as a direct result of just a complete inability to support themselves anymore is something that should give people pause instead of just continuing to, to blindly support lockdown measures and all this other business. Right. And I think it was Dr. David Navarro of The Who who recently came out and said, there's one thing we know for sure about lockdowns and it, it's ma it makes poor people poorer. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, for people who are interested, not only the, the book I recommended, The Price of Panic is a really good one. Um, but there was a recent article in the National Re Review where, again, getting be beyond the authority into the actual data and arguments, they put up the graphs and the charts. And they make these comparisons. So I can send a link to you, Sean, if you want to link that in the show oh, notes. That'd be good. But the, ar the article, yeah, the article is called um, Stats Hold a Surprise. Lockdowns may have had little effect on COVID-19 spread. And, you know, that, and that, if nothing else, just maybe encourage people to, one, understand that experts are, are hugely divided on this, right? So to say trust the experts really just doesn't mean anything. And then we just have to, we have to look at, at the arguments and the data and the evidence and at this point, I think it's, I think any ongoing case for, for lockdowns, especially strict lockdowns is just totally, totally unjustified. Mm -hmm. And we have good, good reason to think that they're just doing far more harm than good at this point. I, I, I agree with you guys completely. And yeah, definitely send over that link. And I listened to that podcast episode. It was a great discussion. You guys opened my eyes to some things and I had these kind of discussions with my clients and you know, I think we can all agree that community, whether it's faith or the community or whatever, your friends and your family, it's so important. And this division and separation in a forest is just destructive. It is. It sucks. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, just to just to be clear, because like one of the good things about having a podcast, is people can always go back and look and see what you said like four or six months ago. And I'm sure anybody who's followed myself realized that at the very beginning when we were unsure. I think, and I w had these conversations with Dan John, yeah, on the face of the uncertainty, it seemed like the initial 14 days to flatten the curve seemed at least a reasonable thing to do, given how much uncertainty we had. 
And I wasn't, I wasn't against that at the time. And I'm, I'm willing to extend the benefit of doubt to everybody that thought, okay, we don't know what this thing is. It seems like it could be really, really bad and overwhelm the healthcare system. So let's just take 14 days to flatten the curve. Um, so that, so that was my attitude at the time, but it's something I've changed my mind on because one, the goalposts have moved entirely, right? So the goal, po- the, the original goal was to flatten, was to just make sure the healthcare system become overwhelmed. And by all measures, that's been a success until, until what, <laughs> until we, until we find a cure to that? Like it, it, it never became clear of why exactly we're continuing this. And what we were originally sold on is no longer the thing that is now being invoked to to keep these measures in place, which, which has me really has had me scratching my head. So it's just to be clear, it's something that I've changed my mind on as we've continued to learn more and as more evidence and data has come out. And I would just hope that other people uh, would be open to that as well. Um, because uh, at this point, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that it's, 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 it's a bad idea to keep these policies on. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely agreed. <laughs> and, I, and I know a lot of people I work with are nurses and Work in the medical community, but my mother-in-law works in hospice, and she was, you know. Anyways, there's there's a lot of people in the community who are not for these policies, um, safety, of course, but yeah, not the what's going on with the lockdowns. It's a bit. Um, all right. So, how, what are you doing for your people to help them with the heightened anxiety and um, emotional, you know, trouble right now? I try to. I tell them to bottle it up. Until it one day just explodes <laughs> in a rage. Yeah, if you feel if you feel emotions come up, just, just push them, just push them down. down. You know? And Remember, so you just harder with your wife and kids, and you're yelling at them all the time. <laughs> That's typically what does the trick. <laughs> um, you know, actually, interestingly <laughs> enough, I haven't had too many people um, really mention it actually, and I, I think it might just be sort of the way that my um, my business is set up is that it's more uh, you know it's more focused on in home training in any case, and, and people expect that coming in. And so I think the people who are coming in uh, and they want to buy, uh, you know, a, a given program or, or a challenge or something like that, they're expecting that they can do it at home. And so they already kind of have a solution set out for at least for their fitness. And, um, you know, I, I don't really know. I think people's professions vary pretty widely, but I get the sense that most of them have a profession that they, uh, that is either A, uh, something that they can do at home, or be quote unquote essential, uh, as the uh, government has periodically dictated what is essential and what is not. Um, so it doesn't seem to be as big of an issue. I, I think, uh, and then the other thing is, I think that uh, you know people are, are also possibly bottling it up around me. So, You're I, 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 right. Um, yeah. So you know, here's another kind of interesting thing about all the lockdown um, stuff is is you know. I'm kind of in a, a fortunate position that so much of my business is online and, and people come to me for the similar reasons that they come to Alex because a lot of them, you know, want to kind of train with kettlebells at home. So, you know, personally um, and thankfully, I have not been hurt very much by these situations. Um, if it, You know, if anything, they almost kind of behoove my business in a sense. Um, but it's because of my all my other friends and all the other people that I see that are suffering from it. Because I have a lot of friends that own gyms, right? And that um, I know a number of people that had to shut down their gyms permanently. Like the dream is dead. Um, that I that I really feel for those difficulties. Um, but even with yeah, with people I'm working with clients, I just um, opened up a, a new uh, private coaching. Um, thing uh, a women's only one and i've been getting on the phone um and the common theme is is kind of what you've hinted at sean this has been a disastrous year in terms of stress Mm -hmm. that has manifest in all sorts of difficulties in fitness with eating and nutrition and stuff like that and another common theme is um is isolation increased anxiety depression i was talking to, to one woman uh I, of course, I won't mention her name, but uh, it's the lockdown policies and her husband's in the military. So she's just like super alone, right? And just, and she's not, she's not the only one like that. I've talked to a couple of women who are similar situations. You know, husband is not around for whatever reason, for work or is the military. And there's no other like community aspect. So of course, of course, we're seeing this, right? Like suicides are going up, depression, anxiety rates are going up. So it's a real, it's a real serious thing. It's one of those other things that we have to keep in mind. Um, 
so yeah, what, it, what, what can you do? I encourage people as far as practical to just, if you can get involved in some type of in-person community uh, in a reasonable and safe way, abs- absolutely do it. So I'm, I'm in Wisconsin, you know, we have some restrictions, um, but not, not too many. So fortunately I'm still able to get out and, you know, meet with, meet with the boys and stuff like that. Uh, I have a men's group on Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, so I do that. I encourage people to do that. If you can get to a gym or in-person community, if you can't do that, I don't think it's a perfect substitute, but have the online communities. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I have, I know Alex has his, you have yours, Sean, I have mine. Those, I know those help people because I, I get the messages and emails saying, you know, thank, thank, you know, thank heavens that, you know, I have this community because all the rest of social media is so horrendously negative right now. It's good to have just like a small little pocket of sanity where people are oriented towards a common goal. They're lifting each other up. Um, so yeah, aside from all the usual stuff of just trying to keep them on the path of exercising well and eating well, trying to get them to find community in a time where community is very difficult to find has been a big emphasis of mine. Very good. Yeah. I, you know, I think we talked about this like on our first or second episode, Pat. Um, you and I definitely enjoy alone time uh, and get a lot of work done and, and really embrace it. But I think by about midsummer, it really hit me like, I really need more people, <laughs> community. And if I'm feeling that finally, I, everybody else I'm sure has felt it for a longer time. So I really had a lot more empathy towards the situation. Yeah. Well, my wife, who's like the huge introvert, like I knew it was an issue when she was starting to have issues. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good example. Like, I'm like, oh, wow, you want to go hang out with people? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll go to the store yeah. a day. I don't care. I'll say hey, I hit all the clerks or anything. Yeah. yeah I, I, was, right. um, I was just kind of thinking about this the other day for myself. I've had, I've had in the past, I've had uh, times where I was more isolated than others. Like when I lived in, in Israel, and particularly after I'd moved to Jerusalem and started working as a trainer, I was training people privately, like in their homes. And so there was a lot of time, you know, I just spent on buses and, you know, um, and that sort of a thing, getting from one place to the next. And, and I didn't make much money. So it was like uh, when Thursday night was kind of the big night to go out in Jerusalem, because, you know, Friday night begins the Sabbath and into Saturday. So Thursday night, people would go out and hang out. But I had like so little money and I always had to be up at like at least six in the morning so that I could be on the road by 6.45 that I just, I really couldn't go out. And so it was like my roommates would be like, all right, well, we'll see you later. And they come back at like three, you know, and then they're getting ready for work at like, you know, seven or something like that. And I'm already gone. And, uh, and then there was a time in which I actually did get to go to like a, a physical gathering. And I felt like my social skills had legitimately like dropped. Like I was just, it just felt like awkward to be around people, but it was, not awkward in that I didn't want to be around them. It was, it was just that, like, you know, I was missing steps, you know, in, in interacting with people. And um, the gym that I work out at now, uh, one of the big reasons I go there is because there are others that I could probably go to that with the same equipment or even better equipment that would be maybe even closer. But it's like, I have people that I know there and I can actually talk to them. And so a lot of the time, I mean, I get my workout done, but like, I really drag it out because I like being around people for an, enough time that I can, I can get some semblance of, uh, of social interaction again, because it's just so impossible to, to I mean, Nebraska is not terribly locked down, but, uh, but nevertheless, it's still like, uh, there's just not as many things to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, Nebraska is kind of boring anyway. So it's like, when, when you add the restrictions on top of it, it's like, you're really, you're really killing us here, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys don't have the frictions that we have. Uh, this is going to sound okay. No more than 10 people um, and two different family, or two groups of families uh, together. I mean, like, we had a nieces fourth birthday party, and we broke those rules. I'll go on record. We had um, 15 people outside of that. Well, like, don't let right. your local neighborhood commissar hear that because you're going to get disappeared in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, hopefully you guys see this now. I'll post up quickly. So, yeah, but there's nothing I can do if they decide to throw you in the gulag and they make you work in the in the work camps as is their utopian vision. Yes, uh, it's so crazy. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely feeling it too. Uh, but like you, I, when I go to the gym, I stick around as much possible time before and after my training sessions or my sessions just to say hello to the people in the community and just catch up. Yeah. It's very important. Absolutely. I think it's hugely important. And people are, uh, I think people are realizing that there's really not 
a substitute for social interaction. Oh. And, uh, well, we're social. We're ra- we're not just rational animals. We're rational social animals. Yeah. Right. So if you start if you start suppressing people's social activity, of course it's going to mess with them. Right. It's part of our nature to be social. Right. Yeah. And, and that's part. And, and to flourish, we have to be social. We really, we really do. We really do. Um, so um, it's not so it's not surprising that if you start to really suppress that, 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 that you know, start to see some some bad results. That's exactly what you said. What you say? Yeah. Uh, just side note, I don't know, Sean, if you could hear it too, but it sounded like there was a little bit of feedback when Pat so was talking. Is that coming from me? Is that coming from me? Yes. Mandalorian? <laughs> like a robot? The, the Pat DeLorean? <laughs> Is that better, gents? Better, yeah. yeah. We fixed it. Awesome. Well, okay, cool. We're on the same page with this whole damn COVID thing, uh, for sure. Um, well, uh, this morning, uh, Sean Connery passed away. I know. Uh, yeah, I know. Stud though, man. I, I'm so bummed out about that. You know, I I rarely really get bummed when a celebrity dies because it's like I just don't have any real connection with them. But I grew up watching Sean Connery's movies, like James Bond. I've seen by the before I was even out of high school, I'd probably seen Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade like 25 times. Oh, yeah. I know? just rewatched that about a week ago. It it's, holds up so well. Mm-hmm. Dude, you know what? I watched it. I'm trying to think of the last time I watched it. It might have been at your place a couple of years ago. We started mm-hmm. watching it. And I, I remember, like, yeah. When, when this movie starts, it doesn't stop. It's like the action just begins immediately. It's like there's not an ounce of fat on it. It's mm-hmm. just such a great movie. Uh, you know, and he was in other great movies too, like uh, ones that I think don't get as much uh, credit. Um, critics seem to like them, but I don't. I don't think audiences saw them as much. Like the name of the rose. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I haven't seen that one. What's the one? Is it Finding Forrester? Finding Forrester was good. You're that the one, one I liked a dog. lot. Yeah, I love. I love that he just did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and he's like, <laughs> and then he cashed out. He's like, now nah, you know what? And you know what? He could have been like. Well, that's, not, that's fine. I'm Indiana done. Jones's father in the in the fourth Indiana Jones movie, and there and then he was like, "Nah, I don't think so." Yeah, just no. he's like, "I'm enjoying retirement too much." So, like, like all, I'm sure both of you are. I'm I'm a huge Bond fan and nerd. Um, what's my favorite one? I'm um, from Russia with Love, probably. Oh is. yeah, that's, that's probably you know, that's probably. You want to yeah. know that was one of John F. Kennedy's favorite books. Was it really? One of the reasons, yeah. They, so Dr. No was the first one, uh, the first James Bond movie. And um, From Russia With Love was uh, in his, I, I think they posted a list of, or they printed a list of his like top five favorite movies. John F., uh, I'm sorry, top five favorite books, five or 10 or something like that. And From Russia With Love was on there. And so for that reason, they decided that the next Bond movie was going to be from Russia, from Russia with love is like kind of a, an homage to the to the president. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So what a shame. Eddie Van Halen mm-hmm. gone. Sean Connery, Connery gone. Sean Connery. <laughs> Sean Connery. God rest him. You know, he was. I mean, he was ninety years old, so he he lived a pretty fruitful life. Yeah, it, it's not like it came out of nowhere. You know. Right. Yeah. Um. If, so if we lose Michael Caine this year, I'm gonna lose my. You know what? <laughs> we can't lose another man with a great accent seriously no we, we we just can't afford it we can't do it but however i tried to share some some good news is that acdc is coming out with a new a new album nice yeah i did see that the other day yeah right yeah so i wasn't expecting that i'm a, a, not that your listeners care too terribly much but i am a huge acdc fan so i can corroborate that mm-hmm. yes, yeah indeed. No, that's good news for sure um I had oh I have a bad joke. Is it too soon to tell a Sean Connery joke? It's, no. it's, it's kid friendly too. What did Sean Connery say when the book fell off the bookshelf and hit him in the head? I know the answer to this, but I want you. I, to I don't have the, the pride of saying. I only have my shelf to blame. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I I literally ran through that joke in my head this morning after I read that. I was like, uh, somebody's got to like post this. So I'm glad that you said it. We were like channeling each other. Like you knew exactly what to do. Yeah. Uh, there was another great one. This is not very kid friendly. So if you're listening in your car, um, please, yeah, earmuffs. Uh, there was it was a meme. At, somebody had a really great billboard, uh, or not billboard. What what do they call it? Like when you're driving and you see the big uh, is that a billboard? Billboard. They call it? Yeah, okay. billboard. Um, and it was like uh, it was a roofing business, and it said hot shingles in your area waiting to get nailed. 
And then underneath it, it was Sean Connery. He's like, hot shingles, you say? <laughs> and I thought that was very funny. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, so who's, who's your who's, – I guess we have to have the argument of who the best Bond is. I already went on record on Facebook saying I very much, very much like Daniel Craig. I think he's a phenomenal Bond. Yeah, um, I'm going to – I, but I, I think, I, but I think it's just I got to give it to Connery just because he's just the OG, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I have to agree with you. I've seen every single James Bond movie at least once, mm-hmm. and um, because I too am a am a giant nerd for James Bond, and um, I think that Connery really set the expect he set the bar high for what a good Bond is because you know certain Bonds had really leaned into different traits like so uh, Roger Moore was a bit more lighthearted. And, uh, you know, he had great one-liners. And so his era of Bond was a bit campier and, and it worked well for him because that's kind of yeah. who he was as an actor. Mm-hmm. And then Timothy Dalton was much grittier, much darker, much less likely to, to make a funny joke. And in fact, they originally wrote The Living Daylights with, uh, with Roger Moore in mind. And so they had to change some of the dialogue because they thought it would sound weird if Timothy Dalton said it because it was just mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, against like what he what his his image was Pierce Brosnan I think was the closest to what like the like the archetype of Bond and he was like smooth he's debonair all this other stuff Um, but he just had bad scripts and I think apart from Goldeneye which was really phenomenal um, but Connery had like a good mix of everything he was like uh, quick-witted uh, great with uh, with the one-liners, but he could also be, he was also an assassin at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, you know, he was just kind of this lighthearted dude. Um, so it really, like every Bond who came after him, I think really ended up being uh, compared to him. And, but having said that, I really think Daniel Craig has done an awesome job too. And I think part of it is because, you know, he, he didn't, physically he didn't fit the same, um, the same uh, uh, archetype we're, we're looking at because he's kind of like, he's not like boyishly handsome, like, you know, like Connery was when he was younger and, uh, and Pierce Brosnan and things like that. Uh, he's blonde, you know, he's, I think he's a bit shorter too. You know, he's not this, you know, big, tall, hulking dude, but he's played like a really deep James Bond because it's like we got to see him basically it's a reboot of the series you know with Bond right. uh, when he's getting started and then and moving from there so yeah I, I really think he's done a great job like I, I also think that the fact that at least the first several movies did not have that much by way of gadgets made it so that he seemed more like a Jason Bourne kind of character and so it fit better right. with our times as opposed to you know, like Roger Moore, it was all these like crazy gadgets and there's nothing wrong with that. Cause I love the Roger Moore bond movies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I love the trash ones too. Like I love Moonraker. Oh, Moonraker is like, amazing a trash yeah. movie, but it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, it's just glorious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think I would also have to go with uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah. I think Daniel Craig or Pierce Bronson. I think cause I, I, when I started watching this Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, Goldeneye exactly. will always be one of my favorites. You pair that oh. with the N sixty four video game, and yes. you just got pure. You just got pure nostalgia. It's hard. Absolutely. It's hard to be pure nostalgia. Mm-hmm. We actually have that in our closet. We have the N sixty four and Goldeneye. And my wife is a professional assassin. She is. Oh good. wow! Yeah. <laughs> You'll make it over here, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it's all not to cross her. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, shape or form, don't cross her. Well, um, this is fun, guys. This is great. Um, what are you guys working on next? What's what's on the agenda? Well, um, right now I am in the middle of uh, promoting something I've wanted to do for a long time because as you may have noticed, if your listeners are hearing me for the first time, you may have noticed that I like to do little plays on words whenever I can, even if they're perhaps a little too, too soon, like Sean Gonnery, for example. Uh, <laughs> I can see Pat Wentz a little bit <laughs> in the background there. Um, but I have a, a new, um, uh, it's like a 21-day challenge called Halloween. It's Calisthenics Halloween. And it's a, a hybrid of the original strength resets and traditional uh, calisthenics movements, meaning you don't do one right after the other. They're, they're mixed in together. And so you take them, it's kind of like Frankensteining them together. But instead of becoming a horrifying monster that terrorizes a village, uh, it gets you really strong and moving very well. And um, so uh, that I've been promoting for about a week. And uh, I've got maybe a few more days left in that. So um, 
So there's that. Uh, I've got a couple of other things coming up for a little bit uh, later in the year. Obviously, I've got a um, one of my uh, one of my hallmark programs is uh, body weight mastery, and uh, I'm I've decided I'm work I've decided a couple months ago that I wanted to do a kettlebell mastery as well because um, I see the, the way that kettlebell training is taught quite often is is kind of counterintuitive to what uh, most users really need. I think the people who are really good in athletic are going to learn it, you know, any which way you teach it. Um, but from the, the people that I have trained who oftentimes, you know, like I have to look at their background and how they move, uh, how they, how they feel like what their, their deficiencies are and what's going to be a roadblock in, in learning a variety of different techniques. So I've started putting together the material for that. And uh, I'm in the process of getting the, um, the, the pictures done. So I have a, a friend who's a professional photographer and we've been meeting periodically to, to, uh, to shoot those pictures. So I'm hoping to have it done by the end of the year uh, and uh, to launch it by early next year. Wonderful. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not um, doing anything immediately new. I'll do a new challenge in November, but we just finished up one that went really well called kettlebell humongo. And um, it's sort of a hypertrophy based program with kettlebells. So it's higher density. And we use a lot of these um, uh, sort of, uh, on a popular level are called myosets. So this might be a fun thing for your listeners to try. Take an exercise, you know, any big exercise you want could be front squats, could be uh, presses, you know, military presses, bench press or whatever. Do a set of, uh, do a set of 10 rest 15 seconds and immediately do a set of eight rest 15 seconds and immediately do a set of six and try and work um, somewhere with an intensity. That's I would say between, um, around two reps of technical failure, right? So if you can get 10 reps, then you shouldn't be able to get 12 reps without technical failure setting in. It's whatever that intensity is for you. And uh, man, those are nasty. Those are really nasty. Right. So if you, do, if you just do like three rounds of that on, on the big moves, and you can do some um, you know, auxiliary exercises as well um, as, as needed, um, so, you know, you run that with, with some big moves. Like um, if, you're, if you're talking kettlebells, then what are the ones you want to stick with? Um, presses, obviously, bent over rows, um, front squats. Hinging, hinging will help if you can bring in a, in a barbell there. Um, uh, so it, it, ideally, you know, a hybrid type program would be good. But if not, you can still get a ton of mileage just with kettlebells. So that, that went really well. And uh, people really enjoyed that one. Um, if you're looking for like a good kick, butt uh, kettlebell routine, um, yeah, check those out. I, I think I wrote a few sample workouts using that sort of set and rep scheme on my website somewhere. Uh, so well, send that over. So, yeah. Too. And, yeah. If I have it, I could be, I could just be making things up. I have no, <laughs> it might be there. It might not be. I think I did. If it wasn't there, then it was on an email recently. It's one of those two. Either way, I'll dig something up to send. To send yeah. That, yeah send around, Cause yep. that'd be for listeners and viewers. And also I wanted to speak on how cool it is, how gratifying when you see people tag you in a workout they're doing like on an Instagram story or whatever. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, like I have my mountain fitness stuff that I do and it just, it makes my day or my week when I see somebody tag and doing the, the workout with their family or outside or with their dog. It just, I love it. It's super cool. It is, you know, and it's something that I think I actually appreciate more now than mm -hmm. I ever have before. Cause I remember when I, when I first started putting stuff on YouTube to be a, a number of people who would put their own YouTube videos up of doing my workouts. And I thought, Oh, that's, that's, that's really cool. But it was, I don't know. When you're young and dumb, you just don't appreciate things as much. Um, yeah. But now, yeah, but same thing. Whenever I see, I mean, people do it in my Facebook group all the time because it's for that. But still, when they tag me on Instagram or, or Facebook separately, it's always, it's always gratifying. Oh, it sure. is. Yeah. You know, actually, I've done programs that I've seen you tagged in uh, from other kettlebell Instagram groups or um, pages. And I'm like, that's Pat. That's, that's his workout. That's a great workout, you know? And I'll go through. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and most of the time, look at me credit. It's funny, people will go around. I, it seems like I have like this army of, 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 of like plagiarist police out there. I, they don't actually work for me. Well, they'll <laughs> go and they'll like tag me on posts and say, Isn't this your workout, Pat? And because there's a bunch of people on Instagram, Alex, I'm not sure if this has happened to you. They'll just take your content and just steal it <laughs> and put it out there. Somebody, set, somebody sent me uh, an ad that was being run by some kettlebell company. 
in the UK where they just they stole my stuff, just took my name off of it, and were advertising it for their own own business. So, um, you know, that's which I guess is still flattering in a way, but it's much more gratifying when they'll actually at least tag you. And I'm not like I don't really care. Like if somebody steals my stuff at this point. Honestly, I don't even do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, you it's know, just yeah. It, I I'm I'm with you kind of because it's like the the thing people have to recognize is that if you were so unoriginal and so bad at your job that you have to steal somebody else's uh, stuff, the people who are in your audience and who are kind of you know feeling you out to see what kind of uh, content you provide, people can tell when you're being inauthentic, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually it will come back to bite you. Like. Uh, it, it's just such a terrible short-term strategy. This is why I don't like this idea behind like swipe and deploy for, you know, building your own business or building your own, you know, training practice, because if it doesn't reflect something authentic about what you can offer, it's right. not going to last anyway. So it, like in a way, it's like the question is whether or not you amp up the dose of the poison that they're swallowing by threatening to sue them or sending them a cease and desist letter. Or you just let them, you know, keep eating this poison on their own until until it eventually takes effect. Because it's it's very unlikely that they're ever going to get past an absolute like remedial level of success by doing stuff like that. Right. Yeah. It's sort of it. One one hopes, and I think it is Alex ultimately self-correcting. Ultimately. Yeah. Right. Um, now most of the stuff people steal from me is my free stuff. If people were like directly like taking my book and putting their name on the cover. I'd probably have more of it. I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's going on. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but yeah, no, your, your point is, your point is a good one. Right. And, and people should reflect on that. Right. If like your whole business model is based upon ripping other people off. I mean, yeah, that's, that's super uncool, but that's not good for you, dude. Like you're never going to make it mm-hmm. at that point. Cause, cause one, cause for two reasons, one, People are going to eventually see through that and realize that you really don't have anything valuable to offer. You're just a phony. And two, eventually somebody's going to have far less patience than Pat Flynn does, and they're going to be they're going to be coming for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are people out there who are like I can think of a guy, uh, Dan Pena, who's a success coach. He's very successful in business. I think mean, he was successful in the oil industry back in like the the '80s or something like that. Um, and he's mentored a lot of well-known people like um, uh, Scott Walker, I think from, from Florida, uh, Brian Rose, who does the London Real podcast, things like that. But he said when he sues somebody, that he just doesn't stop suing them. Like one lawsuit will end and he's like, he's like I'm going to do this until one of us dies. He's just like very, very litigious. And, and it's not petty, like he'll leave you alone. But if you, if you come after him in any way, he's just like relentless. I don't think there's probably a lot of people like that in the fitness world, but eventually again, yeah, you're going to run across somebody who's a little bit better organized and who's uh, wants to send a little stronger message and you're not going to get uh, a nice gentle, you know, like uh, a rap on the knuckles, like what, what Pat's talking about. You're going to get a brawl and it's not going I mean, to be pretty. But, but plagiarism is notorious in the fitness industry. Oh, I mean, time. I'm sure, I'm sure it's notorious in other industries as well, but this is the one that we spend a lot of time in. And I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere, especially on Instagram and blogs. People just are yeah. constantly, constantly just swiping stuff from other people. And like the, the amount of like flagrancy is also surprising. It's like how little people will go to even like try and hide the plagiarism. Yeah. In some cases, like I'll have things on my Instagram where people will use my stuff verbatim with the same images that I've made where they'll just take, the, they'll just take my name off of it. Right? Um, so anyways, all this to say the nice example that Sean gave of how gratifying it is to see your workouts, me and Alex wanted to immediately sour that. And <laughs> That's, that's what we're into all Sean the plagiarists dead, out there's there. no reason to be happy and there's no reason to let any of you be happy so well go with it yeah about that well um speaking outside of fitness so this is the ingrate podcast we do a lot of gear stuff and before you jumped on alex uh, pat and i were talking about gear and it is holiday season so uh, what i'm currently working on is every year i put together a holiday gear guide and it's like men's clothes women's clothes kids gear outdoor gear um gadgets like there's a molecule i'm working with a molecule for air purifying here's a, a unique example of like what you did alex of adapting to a situation in hawaii here in colorado we have 
horrible, the worst forest fires we've ever had. Literally, Rocky Mountain National Park just burnt down. My favorite place in the world to go camp, I can't go to, is on fire. And the air quality is horrible. And it's not just Colorado, Washington, California, Oregon. So long story longer, I'm like, I can't control the outdoor air quality at all. But I can control the indoor air quality. So I was like, let's learn about air purifiers. So I, I reached out to Molecule and some other companies. And um, so we'll have some of those kind of gadgets in the gear guide too. And that thing's pretty cool. Um, our, our neighbors smoke like a lot. And it is, eats that stuff up and it's got a UV light and it kills germs. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm going to take it to the gym when I do see my people. I'm like, Here's our air purifier for our little zone here, so you can exercise as cleanly as possible and safely as possible. Yeah. That's um, great. That's yeah. really great. And also, on a comical mm -hmm. note, kind of, also very comfortable, these slippers came in to test out. They're like, like Zelda would wear these or something. That's Dang. a slipper? That's a slipper. It's a sneaker slipper recovery shoe. A snipper. Oh, yeah, I is want there those anything too. that you can't do? So I was joking. I was like, if you guys want anything to, to review, you guys are really good at writing, so let me know what you want. Yeah, I that will. and the air purifier. I want it all. Heck yeah, yeah. man. Sold, dude. <laughs> Just take my money right now. You don't need any money. Like I, I love, like I mentioned, my polyphasic sleeping cycle and my pitches. I, I will be like, gosh, what would make life better for this writer or for, for Alex or for Pat or for myself? And then I'll, I'll write an email to them. Or stuff like that, they'll pitch us. And, hey, you should write a review on this. And I'm like... I don't care about that, but this woman over here might care about it, so we send it to her. And yeah, sure. it's fun stuff, and you know, it saves you money on buying stuff, and it's just fun to have from an authentic standpoint. Like, I don't have kids like Pat does, so I can't write about kid stuff. But we have like four or five parent groups on our on our writing team, so it's it's nice to see different points of view. Certainly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, sign me up. My kids will be happy to review <laughs> review anything. I'm sure. Sweet. We'll we'll uh, find some stuff and we'll get it sent your way. And then um, on a fitness note, this time next Saturday, I will be working with Pavel directly. Can you believe that? Right. That's right. Yeah, he's going to be coming to Denver and he's yeah. going to be uh, helping people crush weakness, as I recall. The chief is coming to Denver. All right. All right. I can Yeah, to our gym nonetheless too. I'm super excited. Yeah, so is that the is that the strong endurance? Which one is this again? Yes, it is a strong endurance. So where is it? I have the original the original manual right here from the very first episode or first uh, seminar, and uh, I was working with Amanda. You guys know you know Amanda, right, Alex? Amanda Kennedy, right? Yeah, of course. Yep. And uh, I saw the, some of the slides for the new stuff, and it's it's evolved in a nice way. Cool. Boxing and some punching and some body weight stuff is cool. So I'll keep you guys posted on that. And I'm get to work yeah, with Yeah, let us let us know how that goes. That's super cool. Alex and I were thinking about doing a little article here. Soon. I don't know if we can divulge too many details. Then again, we yeah. haven't started it yet, so I don't know if there's anything to divulge, but Well, I, I have uh some ideas I'll send to you. I, I was on a walk and I, I was stricken by a stroke of genius, as I so often am. Uh, so effortlessly <laughs> i will also add exactly yeah add. yeah i'm looking forward to that because it's it's been a long time since one we've written anything together and two yeah. uh for a kettlebell organization so it'll be good to dust off the old cobwebs absolutely especially for the kettlebell organization you know the one and only absolutely we'll strong first yeah baby strong first that's where I'm. We've got an idea. We're going to pitch to them for an article. Uh, uh, it'll be a, a joint article between the Hebrew Hammer and Pat. No need for a nickname, Flynn. That's fantastic, guys! I'm super excited for you. Yeah. Well, we'll um, again. I Pat and I have a basic idea already laid out. I'm going to send some of my uh, some of my particular ideas for how to how to you know put it into an article, and uh, we're going to go from there. And I think that well, if, that, if it gets published, I want it to say the author attribution needs to say the big boys, <laughs> the big boys. I love Flynn and Alex Salkin. Yeah, that's so good. guys. Well, uh, to your guys' credit, everything, not everything, most everything you guys have put out that I've read, I've uh, applied has made my own fitness and health better as well as my students. So I look forward to whatever it is you guys create. Thank you. And I'm glad you qualified by saying not everything. Yeah, I don't agree. But most of it's really, really good. Yeah, every once in a while is a real turd, but you know, <laughs> mostly good. <laughs> yeah, well, we're very happy to hear that because uh, you know I think Pat and I are on a very similar wavelength, which is why it seems so shocking we haven't actually written anything together in such a long time. And uh, we're glad that the wavelength uh, really touches a lot of people who are who are looking to improve their strength, their health, their fitness, and hopefully their thinking too. It's very important. Very important. 
the mental strength. Absolutely. Well, guys, this is fantastic. It's kind of um, family stuff to do, and you've got something to do. Uh, thank you for making this happen, a Halloween special. And uh, and that carrot, too. I look forward to that article. Oh, yes. Yes, yes yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if and when – well, you know what? Even if it doesn't get uh, published or doesn't go anywhere, maybe it'll just make for some good conversation material for another another podcast. Absolutely. I'm in for that. Well, I'm going to make a, a Halloween ham. 2020 is all about weird traditions, and we're making a new tradition today, Halloween ham. Love it. Yep. Enjoy that. Will do. Well, guys, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for listeners and viewers at home. Uh, this was Pat Flynn, a strength man, gentleman, family man. I'll have his articles and stuff below. And Alex, the Hebrew hammer, Hawaiian-busting sulkin. <laughs> and uh, as always, I'm your host, John Sewell. Until next time, take care. Thanks a ton. See ya. <laughs>